Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. Hello and welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. This is a podcast about Scottish football, but since there's actually no football on the go, we have swapped the beautiful and sometimes not so beautiful game we call football for pop culture and all the things we've been getting up to during the lockdown. My name is Craig Telfer and on this occasion I am joined by three men who have beards. Up first, he looks like he's converted to Islam during a short spell in prison. It's Craig Fowler. Hello. The next up looks like a roadie for Bonnie Vare. It's Robert Borthwick. Hello. And last up, it's the biggest power bottom in ML1. It's Graham Thewlis. Hello, Craig. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck's sake. Hey, listen, there's worse things to be described as. Believe me, Graham, you should be taking that as a compliment. You're still generating the power. That's that's an enormous amount of power. Uh, and, and anyone who's been listening to us over the last month know that these Saturday podcasts are where we just talk about things we've uh, enjoyed watching the lockdown. We're going to talk about things we've enjoyed, things we haven't enjoyed. We're going to be all talking about a movie we've reviewed, and then we'll be looking at stuff we're going to be doing at in the future. So four parts. So make yourself a nice burger because the next two and three quarter hours are going to be lots of fun. And we'll kick things off with the good. We're talking about things that we have enjoyed recently. I'm going to go to yourself, Robert Borthwick, first. What have you been enjoying during the lockdown? So I've, I've not actually been watching a, a huge amount of television. I think I've been sort of cherry-picking things off of uh, Netflix and Amazon Prime and all that kind of stuff. I've not quite dived into the Disney Plus market as of yet, but I think that's, that's inevitable, uh, the way things are going. But it's Disney's the, world. We just live in it. Well, that's it. That's it. And... More recently, so I've, I've been watching a, a TV series called Ugly Delicious. So this has been out for 
well over two years, about two and a half years now, and I've seen people talking about it, uh, but I've never quite sort of dived in myself. I think whenever I go on Netflix, it's usually to watch a film or to watch Arrested Development, and that's pretty much it. So I saw this and sort of uh, exhausted all the films that I wanted to watch, um, and it's essentially it's a, a cookery program. I mean, at the very base level of it. It's presented by David Chang, who is the owner and uh, head chef of Momofuku in New York, which is a multi-award winning, fancy sort of Chinese style restaurant. Um, and yeah, it sort of kicks off in the, the first episode that what sort of brought me in. It's, it's about pizza. So every episode is about a different type of food. And I sort of thought, right, this, this looks all right. That's why I like pizza. So this is relatable um, straight away. I had but, a pizza for breakfast. What's that? I had a pizza for breakfast, cooked it at half past seven this morning. That's, why not? Why that's, not? That's why I look absolutely shit at the moment. But that's, <laughs> that's uh, anyway, sorry, this guy, uh, Dr. Chang, makes pizzas. <laughs> oh, it's, we seen it one of the baddies in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, that's Shredder. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. It's all pizzas, uh, though, isn't it? I think, uh, I think David Chang still uh, does a podcast for The Ringer as well, does he not? A food podcast. I believe so. I believe so. He's, he's very much into the whole um, celebrity chef kind of thing, even though he actually stopped cooking about two years ago, three years ago, because his restaurants became that good. They didn't have to anymore. Um, but I think it's sort of, you know, it, it started off as just like a show about food. And I was like, well, this is, this is fine. But the more you watch it, it's like an hour long per episode. Um, and it's more of a sort of magazine show where they go all over the world and see how certain foods and certain things that enjoyed in different cultures. Um, and I think that's the, the main thing that sort of got me as the, the show went on, is it talks about so many sociological things as well as just the food. Mm. So there, there's a lot, there's an episode, um, probably the best one that I've, I mean, there's only 12 episodes altogether um, of Ugly Delicious. And the best one I've seen so far is on fried chicken. Um, and they, they go to Atlanta and they go to all these different sort of like southern states in America and look at the, the racism that's attached to it and, and really properly go into really? that. And it's, it's really, really interesting. It's, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, see, uh, just on, and when you're talking about that, I uh, see on Netflix, or combining the two things you're talking about, Anthony Bourdain's uh, travel logs are, are going to be released on Netflix. So perhaps I think, if uh, would you say if you're into Anthony Bourdain, you will like Ugly Delicious? Certainly. I, I think, um, you know, the start of season two, um, I don't think it's a spoiler, to be honest, but uh, David Chang has a kid. He has a, a baby boy. And he he's finds out that uh, he's going to be having the kid the day after uh, Anthony Bourdain dies. And right. they're very good friends, so they're very close. So I, I think there's a lot of similarities that can be drawn between the two. I think David Chang is quite a, he's quite an abrasive character. He's, he's, you know, he's clearly friends with everyone he's talking to, which means he's allowed to speak in a certain way. But you know, he, he sometimes sort of goes into people's... Um, you know their living's exactly what they're cooking and say why'd you do it that way that's not how I'd do it and it's quite interesting to have that sort of stark questioning uh, that then comes with uh, the sort of reality of it obviously it always has the arc where it comes back around and David Chang goes of course that's why you do it but it's it's still quite sort of challenging um, and and good to watch but it's basically I've not sort of binged um, a a sort of non-fiction show like that for quite a while but I really really got into it and obviously after hearing about um, uh, Craig Anderson talking about MasterChef Australia last week, I kind of thought, shit, another cooking programme. But I, I, I do really, really enjoy it. I'd, I'd recommend it if you haven't seen it as well. Um, there's only four episodes in season two uh, because of the COVID. 
So it's, it's you know, I, I think there's probably more in the pipeline to come out as well. So there's more legs in it, but um, no, it's great. I really enjoy it. Excellent. So that's Ugly Delicious. And speaking of Ugly Delicious, two words that perfectly sum up this next guy, Craig Telfer. I watched a movie on Netflix called <laughs> Calibre. And, and this is a movie I would highly recommend. I, I've been counting, I've basically made a list of all the movies I've been watching over the, basically since the COVID kicked off. And I've watched 113 movies since we've gone into lockdown. Now, I want to say watching them, they're, they're on in the background. I'm watching them when I'm working from home. So I can't say I'm actively watching them. They're there in the background. I'm kind of uh, taking in what's going on. But anyway, about 75 to 80% of them have been absolutely appalling. But Calibre was one of Netflix, and I think that's actually one of the best I watched. It's a Scottish horror movie from 2018. You're nodding, Robert. Have you seen it? I've not seen it, but uh, I remember it coming out. I remember a lot of people talking about it at the time. I've, oh, not, not I've seen it. It's very good. Oh, bro, did you, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I will, I'd, say, I'll, I'd say more thriller than horror, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts, Phil. It'll be interesting to see what you think. Well, basically, it's uh, about two middle-class school friends go on a shooting trip to the Scottish Highlands, and the night before they go on this trip, they stay in this sort of remote village. It's a very close-knit community, and pretty much right as soon as they walk into the local pub, there's a real sense of unease. It's like pretty much they walk in, and it's like the, the, the record scratch noise where it's like, like these, these uh, city slickers have come in, and there, there's a real sense of like, I may not to be felt welcome in this place, and then they go on the shooting trip the next day, and something terrible happens in the shooting trip, and that really sets into to motion the, the wheels. And the sort of vibes I got from it, I thought it was very claustrophobic, very uh, very tense. It was pretty much throughout the entire movie, I thought the walls are closing in. That's, that's how I felt on it. And it kind of reminded me a ways, a wee bit like the Wicker Man and Straw Dogs. And I mean that in the sense that it's the sort of people who are going into a community that they're, they're not part of. And... Um, the, the community really cl- closing in on them. I thought the direction was excellent, and I thought that Jack Loudon, um, who gave the, the lead performance, I thought he was excellent in it. And I thought that perhaps because I've watched a lot of shite recently, the bar is quite low. But I actually did think this is a this is a very good film. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I can only really echo what you said, and that that was what I thought. That uh, in fact, I think you said the exact thought I had in my mind is that the walls are closing in on them and you just feel that all the way through the film. It yeah. just gets more and more tense and more and more claustrophobic and you're just like, how, how are they going to, how, how is it even possible that they're going to make it out of this kind of thing? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was excellent and, and I think that there, there's not a lot of money being spent on it. I think you can, you can tell, it's quite obvious that, but the, the, the setting and the, the, the the scenes and the, the, the sort of interactions between some of the characters, some of the some of the characterizations are a wee bit like on the nose with some of the 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 people that stay in this town. You know, they, they really don't like these outsiders coming in and talking about investment plans to to turn around the town. And it was kind of a bit like right, right, we, we, we kind of we've seen seen these tropes before, but other than that, no. When it when the sort of reaches its climax and particularly the the ending as well, all all very powerful. Highly recommend it. It may just be, may just be after that summer that we signed Paul Lawson and Ian Vigers in one summer. But I've always found the Highlands just like a good spooky thing, like just a terrifying thing to be part of. Were they were they good for you, Paul Lawson and Ian Vigers? Absolutely fucking horrendous. 
Okay. So hopefully you're going to tell us something that isn't horrendous, Graham. What is your? What have you been enjoying over the last couple of months? Uh, over the last couple of months, the the big sort of step forward I've made is playing Call of Duty Warzone, uh, which I have to say is the most fun I've had playing a video game in ages. Uh, despite the fact that I am roundly terrible at it, it is essentially everything that I wanted from playing video games. Like you know when you know when when the when the PS2 came around, and know that you've got online play and you can play online. But nobody could because everyone still had dial-up broadband and it just couldn't support it. And then you got the Xbox 360 and you get Call of Duty online. You're like, this is brilliant for about two minutes until you were getting murdered by 14-year-olds swearing at you. And it was just a horrible, like the whole thing was so frustrating and there was just no reward to it at any point. It was just getting shouted at. And then so you'd play it for a couple of hours at a time. You know what, fuck this, I'm going absolutely nowhere near it. And then so I started, I've played, played a lot of FIFA over the past few years as well. But again, it's the same fucking thing. You're just getting absolutely bodied by kids who are about 14, who have their parents' credit card, and they're just emptying money into their, emptying money into their foot account to buy endless packs. And the whole thing is just, it's just depressing. Like, it's just, it becomes a total grind. So it's like you're playing FIFA as a job, essentially, in order to gain enough coins so you can buy more things. But you're always going to... On, on that, Graham, you, you, you're saying that I found that with Grand Theft Auto Online. I thought Grand Theft Auto Online, tremendous fun, but you've just spent like 60 quid in a game. Then you have to basically spend sometimes three figures to, to at least get up to a level where you can be competitive in it. Otherwise, it's a, it's a slog. It's, it's a real slog. And I think that that's a, perhaps a discussion for a different day, but like microtransactions and loot boxes are something that are absolute cancer on the, the video game industry. And the alternative to that is like, let's say with FIFA, I've, every year I, I end up with a free copy of, of FIFA. So what I'll do is I'll spend like, I'll put 40 quid into the game. So I'm like, if I'm going to buy it, it would have cost me 40 quid. So I'll put 40 quid in at the start and then just to get me going and stuff. But then throughout the rest of the year, you need to play it like it's a job, like relentless. You need to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Because if you skip it for like a month, you come back and all your players are fucking pointless now because the game has moved on. All the players, there's been 14 different promos in that time and all that everyone's collected like six different versions of Adama Traore, so all they do is absolutely terrorise your fullbacks for 90 minutes. There's zero, like, it's just, it, it got to a point where it was just zero fun in it for me. However, Call of Duty Warzone for a start is free. You can buy as much as you want into the game, so it's similar to a, a lot of other sort of online multiplayer games and you can spend money on it, but there's absolutely no need to. Like, if you're playing the game, then you're levelling up bits within the game you learn how to play it, you understand the map a lot, a lot more, you understand how the game works and the mechanics of the game. Um, so it's just a case of how much you want to play it, really. If you want to spend money on it, you can, so you can make the trucks turn pink once you jump into them, which, given that you're in a war zone, I'm not entirely sure what the idea of a, a big trink, a big pink truck is going to be and how valuable that is, given that the majority of the game is sneaking around trying not to die, so driving around in a big pink truck seems a bit counterintuitive to that. I know, it's like, uh, it's like the scene for Family Guy when Peter Griffin is dressed up as a clown and they're all dressed up as soldiers. And it's like, you guys are idiots. They're going to be looking for army guys. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's going to be looking for a big pink truck in a war zone. So you can do that or you can make, you can, uh, you can unlock, you can buy character, you can buy uh, skins so you can make your guy look as if he's addressed like a bush, which are like, all of these are entertaining parts of the game. But the, like, while the game in itself is quite good fun, there's various different versions. So you can play in a trio, you can play in a... Just for anyone that doesn't know, essentially 150 people drop into a giant map, um, either as individuals, as trios, or as quads. So you only play against four or three or on your own. There's a couple of other different modes as well and stuff like that. 
And you essentially work your way through the map. The gas on the outside closes in, so it brings all the players together as the game progresses. So it's not just... The game is fairly short-lived. It's sort of 20 minutes, half an hour at a time. Um, so it's just... There's pace to the whole thing. And while the game itself is quite good fun, and I quite like playing just with randoms as well, uh, I've got my lovely headset now as well, so it looks like I'm in air traffic control, which is quite helpful too. Um, but the biggest thing in lockdown I've found with it is that it's kind of the the multiplayer experience I wanted it to I always wanted online gaming to be like you and either two of your pals or three of your pals jump into the game and you've run about together uh, as a four or as a three and the, that's it's the most social thing that I'm doing just now. aside from doing these podcasts and seeing you guys I'm essentially chatting with two or three of my pals every night for a little while checking in on them see how we're doing having a bit of a laugh and the game has, if you want to win, if you want to take it seriously and go and win the game, then yeah, you can go and win the game. I've had a couple of wins and fucking hell, what a buzz, lads. <laughs> um, alternatively, you can run around, try and pick up as many rockets as you can, and then just collectively, there was a, a bit the other day, there was some guys in a building in the distance, and we realised we all had rocket launchers, so we all just sort of perched ourselves on our building, and then as a four, collectively launched all four missiles at once. It looked like that scene out the end of Independence Day, and you can see the guys in the building across the street just going, what the fuck is this? There's fucking four rockets. The boys are jumping off the building and parachuting off. We didn't hit anything. It didn't matter. And the whole, there's, and there's more than enough element of carrying on within it as well. So if you want to jump in a truck and try and run people over, you can also do that because it makes people fucking raging because they're trying to snipe you as you're just fucking hitting them with a lorry. Um, so yeah, it's Call of Duty Warzone is huge amounts of fun. Uh, if you want to have a big carry-on, you can have a big carry-on. If you want to take it very seriously, you can take it very seriously. But there's loads of time within it as well. To, you you build yourself up within it as well. You don't need to spend money on it. It's free. It's a carry-on. So yeah, Call of Duty Wars was the thing that I've been enjoying massively over the last sort of, six weeks. Excellent. That certainly sounds like something worth down, downloading because uh, that'd be quite good to, to, to maybe, Graham, I, 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 don't, I know it's kind of weird when you confuse like your school friends and university friends. So I don't know if, if I could join in with, with maybe... Maybe your friends. You'd be more than welcome to, Craig. There's oh, a couple. That's, that's so nice. Imagine they all do impressions of me. Um, <laughs> but we'll put my, that's my own insecurities. We'll, we'll leave that to, we'll leave that to. We're, we're a broad church. There's a few, there's a few guys within it as well who I think are essentially playing video games for the first time and genuinely it's like running around with somebody carrying a wardrobe on their back. Like it's, it's <laughs> absolutely fucking zero use whatsoever. But it's good to speak to them and it's just fun to be around as well. So yeah, I would thoroughly recommend if you've got like 400 gigabytes free on your, your PlayStation. The only downside is that it takes fucking forever to update. So if you want to play it, Craig, get started now. Okay. I, would, I, I would 100% be the guy that joins in and just runs and crouch the entire time. Yes. <laughs> the old James Bond. Flying about on your knees. <laughs> A man who also has 400 gigabytes free on his hard drive is Craig Fowler. What have you been uh, getting up to? I have been watching and then re-watching the first series of Community, which is available on Netflix. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's quite up there with Parks and Recreation and Arrested Development, or at least uh, early Arrested Development, uh, but it is very good. And I managed to binge the entire first season in a day. So that's 25 episodes, 25, um, 22 minute episodes in the space of a day. So I started on the Friday night and I I was finished. (laughs) I was hungover. So it was perfect hangover telly. Uh, And uh, I finished on the, yeah, the Saturday shortly before we're about to start our our usual Saturday quiz. And I just, I really enjoyed it. But because I'd watched it so quickly, I didn't want to just kind of fly through the entire thing. 
So, and also Ariane kind of fell asleep after the first five and then I just couldn't watch the rest by myself. So she kind of wanted to continue watching it as well. So I was just like, yeah, fuck it. I'll just, I'll just get back in for the start again. And it's, I mean, it's, it's consistently, for me, it's, like I say, it's not quite on a, a level of those but it's consistently funny. Uh, I think the character's all fairly likeable. And uh, mainly, I, I get a big pop from the uh, pop culture stuff, which uh, there's a lot of kind of pop culture tropes, a lot of homages, a lot of uh, kind of meta uh, stuff to do as well. And Abed Nadir uh, is one of my favourite sitcom characters of recent years. And he kind of really makes the show tick and kind of, the one that's kind of able to bring it back to this pop culture stuff over and over again. And it's able, they're able to do these kind of meta jokes without kind of taking you out of the show. So like, for instance, uh, there's one scene where he starts to narrate uh, what's happening. And the other character basically, kind of the camera kind of pans out and you see that he's actually just sitting there talking to him. And the other character tells him to shut up. And he's like, yeah, I guess narrating is a bit of a crutch. So it's a meta joke. But because he's so obsessed with pop culture, his character... It's, it kind of makes sense. It's not like a kind of like, oh, they're making a meta joke and that's very clever, but I've just suddenly remembered I'm watching a TV show. It's they're very acutely that, and he's just, he just, he's just the best character. This has a, a lot of fun with various kind of impressions and, and stuff. And it's just, it's just good fun. It's an easy watch. Uh, and during lockdown, it's kind of the perfect, just kind of pick me up, just throw it on 20, 40 minutes at a time. You'd, it, the time flies past as well. And it's been ideal viewing for me. I absolutely loved Community at the time because it was it was coming out around at the time I was in university and stuff like that as well. So it was very much at the height of BitTorrent and downloading endless things as well. So like the episode would come out and you'd watch it within a couple of days as well. So like, like you say, all the pop culture stuff at the time felt like stupidly fresh because it, it was exactly as it was happening. So it was I absolutely loved it to bits. Um, and like you say, they do all the sort of the common uh, sort of American TV show tropes as well. So it gets to the point where like, oh, this is the musical, this is the musical episode, this is the bottle episode, but it's all sort of reflexive and inward looking as well. I, I loved it at the time. Um, as you, When you were talking about it, it does kind of tail off the further you go into it. It doesn't stop being fun at any point really, but just after you've seen a chunk of the bits at the start, you're like, this is genuinely top quality by the time it gets further on and some of the characters leave, it just kind of tails off. You're like, well, it's still nice. It's still fun. If this was the first season and they added in those guys later on, it would be a case of, well, it started okay and then it got really, really good. It's kind of funny and there's a lot of American TV shows which the first season, they spend a lot of time trying to figure out quite kind of what show they want to make and then by the time it gets to season two and three, it really sort of hits its stride. Like Parts and Rec, for example, the first season of that is like a grind to watch but by the time you get to season two and three and four, They've really sort of all the characters have developed to a point where like everyone knows exactly what they're meant to be. Um, whereas community, I kind of feel goes a little bit the other way, and the same way that Friends does, which it starts off really good, and then by the end, they're all just one note jokes, which they probably in the first season tried really hard to avoid being. It's interesting. Yeah. interesting to talk about Friends there. I, I went went back and just watched a couple of early episodes from the first series of Friends, and I actually think the first season of Friends is the best series. Because uh, this is before, this is when the, the characters are certainly a lot more rounded, when they are sort of uh, more relatable. And as it went on, and as you say, the show kind of knows more what it is and what it wants to be. The characters sort of just become like well, cartoons and, and caricatures, and I think it, it loses a lot. Anyway, and in, in Community, I see it's made by Dan Harmon, who who does Rick and Morty. Yes. 
But yeah, I think he, I think he left. I, I think he stopped being involved with it after the third season, which is where a lot of people say it starts to go downhill. Yeah, it's got Donald Glover in it, so I think I'll give that a big. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're never going to watch it because you've got a weird <laughs> uh, dislike of Donald Glover. I just don't I like him. I just think he's just a tryhard. I think uh, see, see a lot, see a lot of yourself in him, do you? Not a tryhard, mate. So I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think uh, t- talking about Donald Glover, his his friendship with uh, with with Abed, um, and sort of all the different relationships and friendships that come from just one group. So you've got so many different uh, sort of angles shooting off, and, and you find that as the the sort of series go on, but no further than series four because then it gets shit. But it's it's all the friendships and everything that can happen within one season. Um, I, I think it really adds to to what it is, and I think the the overarching relationship that everyone has with Chevy Chase's character as well. Who is like uh, an absolute bastard? Like he's oh, a prick. Yes. He's a complete prick. But at the same time, like it, it's probably the best role that Chevy Chase has played since the eighties. Like it's it, it properly suits him because he is a prick. So it's like, <laughs> and it means that that he's actually been cast really, really well and really smartly. And I, I love Community for three seasons, but after that, I can't, I can't stomach it because it's not a long enough time like friends or something that you can say, ah, well, you're giving the benefit of the doubt. You know, they've been doing this for years. Like it, it really fell off a cliff really suddenly for me. I, I think like it, it just really annoyed me more than anything else. So like, they, they completely started sort of changing the, the format and all this kind of stuff. The, the jokes were really, really forced. Um, and it's just a shame, but like focusing on season one and two and three, um, it, it's brilliant. It's fantastic comedy. Um, and as I say, it, it's it's all about the for me. It's all about the, the different sort of relationships and how that swings all the time with the, the main character trying to get fired into everyone. I've always loved as well, like like you say, they're only twenty minutes long, and every ep- like there's so many of the episodes which have like twenty five absolutely wonderful moments in it. In what is like a twenty minute show, like yeah. the one with the the space bus. Is absolutely is absolutely sensational. It's a twenty minute episode, but there's like like there's so many bits within it that made me absolutely howl after a time and again coming back to it still cracks me up. And what is like a really one like really long uh, set up joke, so they could turn the school flag into an anus. Like is is essentially the setup for that that entire episode is just so that they can do that. So actually, sounds like I see. It's actually also got the the, the guy from the Hangover. In it as well. Oh yeah, the Chang. Yeah. Chang. Yeah. Um, well, he's, he's not. He's a he's a supporting character in it. Yeah. Don't care, mate. I'm just going by what Wikipedia says. Uh, so don't don't shoot the don't shoot the messenger. Now we've heard uh, we've heard about some good things and we've heard about some things involving Donald Glover. Let's talk about things. Focus on things that that aren't so good. Graham Thewlis. What have you not been enjoying during this lockdown? What has been grinding your gears? What's been pulling your plunger? I realise this is kind of my own fault because I've been playing loads of Call of Duty Warzone as well, but I'm sticking solely with video games on this. And what's broadly been grinding my gears is uh, remade video games. Ah, um, oh, no, come on. We, uh, I'm, I'm just balls deep into the Final Fantasy. I know, I know. That's, that's, I'm getting right into it. We talked about Resident Evil uh, 2 and 3 on last week's podcast. I'm keen to hear where you're taking this argument. I, it was essentially listening to that podcast last weekend, and it, like I, again, it's more fault because I do stuff like this as well. I've played a bunch of remade video games. I saw the remake in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One and Two, which was really sort of what tipped me on the on the balance of this as well. 
Um, I played. They're, they're, they're really good games. Why, why would you? Why do you object to, to people remaking it? They are yes, but again, I played Resident Evil Two the remake, and again, I absolutely loved it. There's every chance I will download the Final Fantasy Seven remake and play through that as well. So it's my own fault, and I realise that in, in in doing all of this, it's entirely my own hypocrisy, which is supporting this element of the games industry. Um, but similarly, like it just frustrates me enormously. Like the 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 game which I've played. One of the most recent games which I've played and genuinely loved from start to finish because I, I, my, like the rest of us, I grew up with a PlayStation 1 and played Resident Evil 2 the first time around and Final Fantasy 7 the first time around and just completely immersing myself in them. And I appreciate that there is almost certainly an element of age in this as well and that I'm now in my 30s. I have a child on the way, so my, my time, and I have a job and various other things, so like my, my time can't really be committed to sit things in the same sort of way. But at the same time, it just feels like an absolute lack of sort of creativity and the fact that you've got these great games and great stories. Yeah, well, you, you know, instead of spending time creating new stories or, or new games or new and interesting ways of doing it, which at the time were and felt groundbreaking, do you know, although it's instead of that, we'll just make games that we've already made just yeah. prettier and we'll make them really, really nice. And again, like the latter versions of, of, of the Tony Hawk games, the first two are absolutely wonderful because they have that sort of really sort of addictive and compelling reason to get better at it because you want to, it is as simple as I just want to get a really big score or I really want to just make this perfect line. And then by the time you got to the, like the, the underground ones and underground two and stuff like that, this is just a fuck, again, it's just a grind. And again, it comes back to like FIFA and stuff like that as well. Like video game, the video, like a lot of video games now, and you highlighted this for microtransactions as well. GTA five was loads of fun. Um, but you can track the Rockstar games to the moment where they essentially discovered what microtransactions were. And then there was one every like two years, I think it was. And then it was GTA 4, maybe. They started putting microtransactions in. And now there isn't going to be a new one for however many years, probably until we get to the next gen of consoles. Given that 5 came out when it was still available, like 5 came out when it was 360 and PS3 were most prevalent, it was remade for the PS4 in order to go on that as well. So it just. It, it frustrates me because when you, the, it feels like the industry is is pushing towards, obviously it's got to make money, but it feels a lot like instead of taking the risk and creating something new and something interesting, we'll take the sure shot. And we know That's that cool. Final Fantasy VII will sell X hundred million copies because people already love it and it's got this nostalgia factor and it's a good story to begin with, but recreating a new story seems like a more important thing. You know, you're not. That, that could apply to the movies as well. Absolutely. Know, I was, I was just, actually just thinking that when you were saying that, yeah. that it's kind of just like like movies are nowadays. Like so many remakes because they know like all the Disney remakes are live, uh, live action animation. I mean, what was really the point in any of them? But they knew that money. if they made them, they make shitloads of money. money. That's yeah. it. Because I mean, if you if you think about it, like like The Lion King and Aladdin, you know, two of the two of the greatest movies of all time, right? Regardless of the fact they're animated, Aladdin, The Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, absolutely world class, ten out of ten movies. And, and you're remaking them as live action. What you're you're not you're not going to make them better. You can't you can't possibly improve on something that's perfect. Particularly Aladdin, for instance. A lot of uh, the the central performance in Aladdin comes down to uh, Robin Williams and his improvisational skills. And you're just not going to get that. So the only reason you're, you're remaking it is not from like a commercial standpoint. It's it, sorry, it's not from an artistic standpoint. It's not from a creative standpoint. It is just to, to make money. And I think you're absolutely right, Graham, in terms of that that point that, that take a risk. You know, like like try try something original. See how see put, put, invest in that and see how it goes. That is where we're missing out in that. And 
you're absolutely right. As, as good as uh, Resident Evil 2 has been, as good as Final Fantasy 7 has been, um, you're, you're right, all this effort and money has been spent on, on taking something that everyone already knows. And again, both, both, of those, both of those video games I absolutely adored because they reward you for being really thorough in the game. Like If you do everything you can possibly do in it, you'll get the best possible experience with it. Now, and like we're, saying with, like, like we're saying with FIFA and like we're saying with Grand Theft Auto V, you come into the game, you spend some money, and then you immediately get to the point where it's you can play the game at a better level. Like, that's shite. That's not what I want to do. I want to commit some time and I want to develop it. I don't want to just drop money in it to be good. It's bollocks. That is bollocks, and we'll stick with bollocks. We're going to Robert Borthwick. Robert, <laughs> what have you not been enjoying? So, um, <clears throat> Saturday Night Live aka SNL. So I've been watching this for, for quite a while and, and obviously can't watch it live because it's not broadcast in the UK or anything like that, but uh, over YouTube I've, I've always enjoyed sort of going in on the, the Sunday and they've got every single clip uploaded and, uh, and going in and watching it and it's, it's a good way to spend my Sunday mornings. I, I really enjoy it and have done for, for quite a while, but Saturday Night Live in the last two years or so and, and I think Saturday Night Live often lives and dies by the cast um, that they've got at that time, and this might be the worst cast ever. Um, it's just painfully unfunny. I mean, they're, they're trying to do political satire in every second sketch, and they've got Alec Baldwin playing Donald Trump in every second sketch, and they've got the same characters doing the same bit over and over and over and over and over again for the cold open, and it just is completely grinding. And it, it's, it's such a shame because I, I'm, I'm sort of going on now to the SNL channel just sort of by muscle memory but all I'm doing is watching old clips because that's when it was actually good do you know what I mean like the last time it was good was pro- like properly good was probably when like Andy Samberg Bill Hader uh, Amy Poehler all these people were on the cast because you know you, you kind of see where they've all gone in their careers now and you understand that yeah these, these are properly funny people who were good writers who were able to get the best out of sketches and, and all that kind of stuff and you look at the cast now and it's like I like Keenan Thompson, but other than that, you've got a bunch of people who you've never heard of. Maybe apart from Pete Davidson, um, Michael Che, Kate McKinnon. Who's against Ariana Grande? How does that work? No idea, mate. No idea. He's just... Oh. I, I believe the, oh. the, first, the first article on Big Dick Energy was written about Pete Davidson, so there you go. Um, I used to hate him already. But it, it's just... I mean, they've, they've started... Fair play to them. They've, they've really started to try and create content from home during lockdown. So they're doing entire shows um, without being anywhere near each other and, and filming them from home. And they've still got decent enough production value. They're still well edited enough, but they're just not funny. And that's the key. This is a, a comedy show. It's a comedy sketch show. And none of it's funny. I, I didn't rise. I didn't, I didn't get a single laugh out of the last episode or the episode before that. I mean, the, the first one from home um, the cold open was done by Tom Hanks. Um, obviously, he he had had the COVID uh, and, yeah. and, then, and then recovered. But it's just him in his living room with no laughter, canned or otherwise. And it, it just, I think, a lot of the time with these things, when you hear other people laugh, you're like, ah, yeah, like I laugh as well. Like that kind of adds to it because it, it, you get yeah. a live reaction from the actor or the the comedian while people are laughing at them. And and that kind of it's that to and fro with the audience that makes it good. And there's none of that. So what was bad sketches with, a, uh, with an audience that was 
you know, geared up for that kind of thing anyway. He's now bad sketches with nothing. <laughs> and it, it just means that it's completely, completely fallen flat. But I think, as I say, it, it's unfair to pinpoint uh, the lockdown episodes when actually for two years it's been really poor. Uh, no, I, I'll be honest, I don't know much about Saturday Night Live. I, I obviously know a lot of the alumni that, that have gone on to have, have great success off the back of it. But the only time you sort of, you, the only time I really hear of it is like Alec Baldwin returns to do his impression of Donald Trump. And it's at the stage where it's like, it's like Donald Trump seems to be like, you, you can't parody him because he's, he's so outrageous that, that, you, that there's, you, can't, that you can't really mine comedy from that because it's, there's, there's nothing to mine. Well, that, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, it's honestly, it's all these American politicians, right, that are always played by the same people. And I think the last time, the last time it was good was when Matt Damon came on and played, who was that, uh, who was that, that judge guy that, was, uh, that had sexual, sexual abuse allegations against him? I can't remember his name now. Um, but it was quite a quite a big trial um, uh, last year at some stage earlier last year, and Matt Damon came on and was absolutely spot on, and it was him. And I was like, right, this is good because this guy that they're talking about isn't a, a main a mainstream politician that they talk about every single week. Right, this is good. It's a good actor coming on and doing it. Other than that, man, it, it's just the same every single time. Kate McKinnon is uh, Hillary Clinton and, and all that kind of stuff. It's always always the same. I, I think. You know, it's fair enough that, that in America, especially political satire, needs to be uh, a big thing because obviously it's it's such a it's such a hotbed for comedy, and and it, it's impossible not to to go down that route. I understand that, but see when it's the same boring tropes every single time. Alec Baldwin's impression of Donald Trump, by the way, isn't that good, and also it's incredibly badly written. The jokes aren't funny; like none that all falls flat because. The humour of Donald Trump is what he actually says. So if you try and take the piss out of that, it's not going to be funny. So it's, I mean, I, th- I think the best way to take the piss out of Donald Trump is to make him this, like, straight-down-the-middle politician and do it that way and, and say, like, this is the bizarre old world that we want, but it's, it's obviously we are in the, the reality of what is. And SNL, it just, it's been doing that for way too long now. But I, I think that in the last couple of years, there have been a couple of standout uh, hosts, obviously the hosts come in and then get really involved with uh, with old sketches. So, Craig, you're going to hate this, but the Donald Glover episode was actually really good. Um, came on the, the day after he released This Is America. And then Bill Hader, Bill Hader came on and, and hosted it again. I absolutely adore Bill Hader. Um, he's, he's one of my favourites. He came on, he was really good. Other than that, man, it's it's just not been that good for... for, for for too long now, uh, and as I say, I, I'm, I'm unfortunately just harking back to the good episodes. When, as I say, it was like your, your Andy Sandbergs, uh, Amy Poehler, Will Forte, Chris Rock, um, Julia uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus, and all these people. Like that was that was a properly good cast. Kirsten Wig, like all these people went on to then do better things. And uh, the cast right now, just it just isn't there at all. Um, it's 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 pish. Although I like Chris Red. Chris Red's good. Just to say, Robert, surely, like you're saying, it's not the lockdown episodes that are the problem, but surely this is, for something, like, for something like SNL, this is like the perfect test of how good your writing is because it is, there's, there's no skit, there's, no, there's nothing, there's no production around you, essentially. Just you writing a thing, doing a thing, and that's it. That's all you've got. So, yeah. presumably, it's just highlighting the issues that were there originally. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, 
I, I don't read much uh, in the way of sort of uh, what's happening in America, but I, I think a lot of critics are now sort of, especially over the last couple of years, are kind of agreeing and saying like, yeah, this is a, this is actually boring. Like it's essentially it's such a staple in America that everyone will watch it at ten o'clock on a Saturday night anyway because it's there because it always has been there, and it you know it it always will have the potential for something that's going to cause news stories or, or cause controversy because I think that's really where the the kind of as well as the, the humour from the start they always had that possibility of causing a bit of a stir and people have always enjoyed that part of it but now. It's it's hardly a drop in the ocean now, and it, it's a shame. And I think it will get better again when better cast members come in, or when the writing becomes a bit uh, a bit edgier. But for now, it's just it's just shite. But then I'm the idiot that will still go on tomorrow morning and, and watch it. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, there's always a possibility. I let's talk about me. Uh, after last week's discussion, I uh, when we spoke a lot about Ricky Gervais, I went back and rewatched David Brent Life on the Road. Uh, and I was really, I was all geared up to give Ricky Gervais a shooing for a third week. But uh, I'm judging by looking at Fowler's face and he's like, nah, shut up, move on to something else. You say, Have you guys seen Life on the Road at all? No, I nope. heard it was rubbish. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's really bad. It's sort of, it, 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 not a film that needs to be made. If you think of the, just we'll talk about it briefly, just while we're here. <laughs> you know what, you think of the, the way The Office finished, perfect ending to the character, there's, there's no, you don't need to know what David Brent's doing um, like 15 years on from it. Uh, but he's, he's working as a, a sales rep. He basically is doing a similar job to what he was doing before he became the manager of, the, the, of Wernham Hall, where he's a sales rep for a sort of a toiletries company. And he decides to, he's got all these songs, he used to play in a band, he's got all these songs and he wants to take the band on a tour. And it's the concept itself is ridiculous. He cashes in a load of pensions and he puts together this band of very good session musicians, and they play a series of gigs spread over like a fortnight in and around Berkshire. It doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense. And it, there's a song in it as well called Don't Make Fun of the Disabled, and it is probably one of the worst things. Genuinely, I can see your face, Robert, screwing up there. It's, it's as bad as you think it is. It's, it, it's, it's not funny, and it really punches down, and it kind of goes beyond the idea. You know, if you think of David Brent nice, well-meaning guy, but just isn't not very good at directing it or not very good at expressing himself. This is just horrendous. Uh, it's just absolutely horrendous. And it's, it's not funny. It's not funny. It? And again, I think Tony uh, said this last week, it tries to cheat you into to thinking it's got a heart at the end when it doesn't. But listen, we've spoken enough about slick Ricky Gervais. But the, the thing that, that, that's grinding my gears is Bob Mortimer's train guy. Um, I think it has well and truly jumped the shark. Now, I know it's almost sacrilegious to say anything bad about Bob Mortimer because he's a national treasure. He's, he is very, very funny. I mean, he did a thing a couple of weeks ago. Did you see it was a John Cooper Clark lockdown? So good. So good. Perfect. You know, absolutely perfect. He, he, you know, he's a very, very funny guy. And weirdly enough, he followed me on Twitter for about two years. I never followed him back. He followed me for two years. He was only following about 120 people, and I was one of them. No idea why. Never interacted with him. But anyway, he doesn't follow me now. This isn't. This isn't. This um, rejection isn't driving <laughs> this, um, this this bit. But when I see the, it's not so much grind my gears or something. I'm annoyed, but it's just a kind of thing that that's plenty. That that's plenty. And the, the train guy, I think that the first few were, were really funny because it was incredibly well observed. 
sort of these the collection of mannerisms from sort of like mid-management types you see in offices and the sort of the horrendous train uh, phone calls that you kind of you only sort of very vaguely tune into occasionally when you're on a train and I thought it was like well observed particularly I think the name even Jeff Linton you know that name Jeff Linton is, is perfect for that mid-management type you know not quite the boss but somebody who's a really a really good worker um, and the whole stuff about like the, the capachuchu was quite funny but Having watched more of them, it's, they, they've, they've gone beyond being well-observed into sort of like ridiculous or just too exaggerated, too nonsensical. And the whole stuff like you are an adjective noun, like you are a vigorous pigeon, you are a damp crab. It's, um, it's not funny. That just made me laugh when you said it. You know what I'd compare it to? See, I know it's a sort of different medium, like sort of like a 60 second Twitter video to like a Vine, but see, I'm comparing it to like Lemmy's Plasterer. You know, the, the, the sort of story of this, this guy who told like really, really bad jokes, like laughed at his own jokes and really bad, but the more he did them, there's a wee bit of a story weaved into him about like this guy who had uh, problems, with, problems with drinking. And then he end, ended up finishing, he broke into a woman's house. Like, he, he got smashed at his... Uh, I'm his, sorry, him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, that's the class. I thought that was really good. And then he didn't make any more of them. Whereas, train guy, it just seems to... Uh, 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 and then just some sort of, like, a daft sequence of words that doesn't make any sense sort of pushed into it. So, it's not so much grind my gears, because I say, like, I really like Bob Mortimer, and he is very funny. It's just that particular sketch, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it's run aground. I, I think it still adds value to the timeline myself. I, I think it's saved by the fact that he puts them out every couple of weeks, maybe even every three weeks. That's, that's, too, that's fair. That's fair. It's every, every week while. So it's not as if there's, you're getting them chucked at you all the time. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, I, I think that there's still like a, a sort of a pop in the occasional group chat when it comes out and stuff like that because it has become this staple of, of Instagram and, and Twitter. When he, when he posts it, there's genuine excitement about it. Um, I would say that I would hope that he's a smart enough comedian that he knows there will be an end game um, because there will be a time when it does get way too tired and uh, becomes too much because I, I think that he's really leaning into that now. I do agree with that. But I think for now, like I don't think it is overkill. I was worried when Matt Berry got involved, um, but he was actually quite funny as Jeff Linton. Um, I, I thought he was. I thought he was. Uh, he was good. He wasn't. He wasn't Bob Mortimer. It's like seeing Fraser, right? You know who, what was the name of Niles' wife? Was it Neris? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You never saw. Her. Yeah. And it was the whole idea that 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 they because the comedy around that was like Neris was like they they painted her up to be so this this monster effectively and there's no nobody could have played Neris because she was that exaggerated a character. I kinda think that about about Jeff Linton a wee bit. It's like you didn't need to oh, Matt Berry's amazing. You know, Matt Berry's got, got like such a lovely voice. But I don't think you need to you need to hear it. That is like having this sort of like fantasy Jeff Linton, fantasy Neris, that in itself is is good. You don't need to see them. I would agree that um, if we'd never seen Jeff Linton, then the the comedy wouldn't have suffered. But at the same time, I don't think it took anything away from it too much. It is such a daft thing that having someone daft coming in and being daft and like the time he was holding a gun and stuff like that, it was quite funny. I, I think that obviously he's now been dropped again uh, by the looks of things. It's now just back to Bob Mortimer. I think I, I am maybe about two or three train guys behind you in the way that I'm thinking. I, I think that 
there will be an end, <laughs> there will be an end game, um, but I just don't know when that's going to be. I, I think, like as you said, with the adjective, adjective noun thing, I still find that very funny because I think Bob Mortimer is an absolute genius at it. I think uh, there's a, a YouTube video uh, that goes on for ten minutes, which is him just listing potential cat names, and I recommend it. It's just him coming up with with ridiculous names for a cat, and it's it's great. And I think that that is, that is something that he's especially adept at. But I think, I don't disagree with you completely. I, 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 still, I still do love Train Guy when it comes out and it still, it still really makes me pop. But I would say that um, it, it does, it will have a point where it's not funny anymore. It, it's not the sort of thing that can carry on forever. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. Bob Mortimer following you on Twitter, Craig, has also just reminded me that Keith Chegwin follows me on Twitter and now will follow me on Twitter forever. Um, because, I mean, you know. How did your pass cross? How, that's the thing about Bob Mortimer. I've absolutely no idea how he'd have seen uh, my tweets, but he must have followed for about two years before, before unfollowing. I don't know the moment that, that, that tipped him over the edge to stop following, but how did Keith Chegwin get in tow with you? I have absolutely no idea. Like, genuinely, I have no understanding. I think there might have been some sort of exchange of joke at some point, but I have absolutely no memory whatsoever. But the fact that I felt dead bad when he died, because I think he, he was certainly one of the, the most prominent people on my Twitter timeline to follow me who was dead. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this, because I've lost, like, a lot of potential there. He's got 155,000 followers, mate. He did Naked Jungle, didn't he? Yeah. I remember there was a sort of, it was like a, a gladiator sort of like the wall and the camera was, was, was filming that this, this sort of naked man climbing up a wall. And when it got to an angle that you could clearly see inside the guy's arsehole, the camera just <laughs> Good. Nobody you wants to see that. naked jungle. <laughs> no, I didn't. Better <laughs> uh, got on to what grinds my gears because we've still got to talk about flight for about three hours as well. Um, <laughs> So what's grinding my gears is uh, the Inbetweeners movie part two, or Inbetweeners two, or whatever the fuck it's called. So yeah, it's a, it's a it's a rubbish rubbish film, and it was just it really it wasn't just a rubbish film. It really fucked me off because it's just kind of the things kind of what we're we're talking about earlier, like makers of uh, content, TV or, or film, they just seem to fail to understand what made it good in the first place. Uh, so Inbetweeners TV show w- was pretty good. I mean the third season kind of flagged a wee bit but I thought the, the first movie was pretty decent I thought it was as good as you could expect from a TV show branching out and doing a, a feature length movie and this one is just dance, the scene in the nightclub with the dancing yes. is, is seminal that's, that's, that's amazing that's still very funny yes uh, all the different dances as well Will, Will's dance where he does the like the guys in the, the train station at Falkirk where he's yeah, kind of uh, still do that dance at the bars now um, so I think a perfect metaphor for in between us two is Joe Thomas's hair. So Joe Thomas plays Simon. So Simon's always had the kind of stereotypical high school kind of spiky fringe, uh, cow's lick look. Uh, but for this film, it's just, it's so much, his hair's so much longer and it goes all the way across his head. So it's like he's wearing a crown and it just looks ridiculous. And he's now supposed to be an adult. He's supposed to be like 19, 18 or 19. He's supposed to be at university. It's like, nobody would wear their hair like this. It's literally like the filmmakers thought, well, wouldn't it be funnier if his fringe was even longer? Because then it looks even more ridiculous and haha, isn't that funny? But this is the problem with this film is that there's so many jokes that aren't grounded in reality. So the in-between has always been a little bit verging on the ridiculous, but there was always stuff you could imagine actually happening. And they just 
nobody acts like a human being enough in this film. So uh, a good example of this is, and it's probably the scene that anybody who watched the film would remember the most, it's where Will goes down the, the water slide in the water park and uh, there's, a, there's a shit falling him down and he gets to the bottom, he stands up, turns around and the shit hits him in the face. So you, you could laugh at that. Personally, I thought it was just a bit puerile and I think that's another point I'm going to make soon about this film. But to be fair, Fowler, I mean, you can't, sli- you can't in between us is all puerile. Every single thing about it is puerile. It is puerile, but they usually didn't show stuff like that. They would kind of talk, so like an example would be when they are, I think it's the second season when they are coming back from the caravan park and they find out that Neil was spunked all over the car. But they don't show, they don't like show an inordinate amount of spunk because that would be ridiculous. They just kind of, they talk about it and they kind of leave it to your imagination and that's what makes it funny. But this, so this bit wasn't so bad in terms of that, the shit hitting his face. It's more about the fact that he then just walks around for about 10, 15 seconds in a daze and he's, he's in a swimming pool. If you get shit in your face, the first thing you want to do is wash it off. He's literally up to his waist in what he can do to wash it off and he just starts wandering around. And they kind of do this, like, it's almost like PTSD, like, or, well, kind of shell-shocked uh, war movie homage, but it just doesn't make any sense, and it's just shit, and it <laughs> makes it not funny. And there's another bit as well, there's, like, another horrible bit later on in the film where Neil just pisses on uh, Simon's face for ages, and Simon doesn't move away, and it's just like, what, what is the fucking point in this? And I'm going to spoil the ending, cause, but it's fucking, it, it deserves to be spoiled, because I wouldn't want anybody to watch this. Um... There's the, so the whole point in the film is that Jay is in Australia because he's trying to find Jane because they've broken up and he misses her and he wants to get back together. And when they finally come across her, he says, like, is there any chance of us getting back together? And she's like, no. And then that's it. So that's a joke. So this whole 90-minute film has been set up for this bang average joke. And then it finishes, if that wasn't bad enough, it finishes with, for some reason, despite the fact that in fucking Australia, a few of their parents arriving over. Like, as if that's just easy enough to do, like a 24-hour flight that costs, you know, a return costs well over a grand, probably. And when they come over, Will's mum is accompanied by Mr. Gilbert, and it, it's, this is the way they tell Will that they're going out with each other, and Mr. Gilbert just starts talking about his cock, and then the two start passionately getting off, and that's the end of the film. That's not funny. Nobody would act like that. Shite. Don't watch it. Uh, it doesn't doesn't sound very good. I thought the the first one the first one was quite good. Yeah, uh, I liked the first film. But it's uh, I I love them between us. But it's always like the it's always that fear, isn't it? When you say it's like the movie, it's like um, we've got to take them abroad. You know, it's yeah. like we've got to take them abroad. It's like for instance, it's like when we talked about the extras uh, last week. One of the things that extras does, you know, on when the whistle blows to take the piss out of shite comedy. They have like um, when the whistle blows in Spain. It's sort of like trying to squeeze like the the, the teats of this dying cow to try and get the milk out of it, and that's certainly what uh, these two. Um, certainly, this movie sounds like anyway. No rubbish. Okay. Really disliked it. I've not disliked the film like that in a while. Really, man. That's uh, must take some, must take some for it to. Uh, I've really. Uh, brought out that kind of reaction, Fowler, because you're uh, generally quite uh, mild-mannered. Yes, it's, uh, it, it made uh, The Greatest Showman look like a, a best picture. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, 
I'm in Tyler with you, fella. It's an absolutely dreadful 90 minutes of your life. If you've watched the first five minutes of it, you've essentially seen every gag in the film. A total waste of everybody's time. Terrible. I, I think when I when I watched it, and this was a, a while ago now, it was after 10 minutes, I was like, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> Mentally, you know on, on, on IMDb, it's only 0. 0.3 uh, on the rating worse than the first film. I was like, how? How? Dark Fruit Star. Weisty one, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, I discovered as well. We're we're rewatching Skins because because my have never seen it. Do you know Jay from In Between Us is in Skins for like eight seconds? Hey. Yeah, he goes, he's he's going out with Cassie when she's locked up. Cassie is the the girl anorexic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was in Game of Thrones. Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, she played so. yeah. Game of yeah. Thrones. A lot of people from Skins went on to, to Game of Thrones. The guy that played is it Chris? No, is it, he plays Gendry. Um, does, it does he die die in a chair or something? I don't. I don't know. Uh, no, it's uh, Peter Capaldi dies in a chair. Peter yes. Capaldi gets bullied off uh, guys in Albion Rover strips, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I saw that. I was. We that saw was that top. Day. I think that was my favourite thing about the whole thing. And Skins and these two wee boys turn up wearing Albion Rovers tops. It's like yes, more <laughs> <laughs> leagues. I, I, I identify with this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Just sitting there going. <laughs> can't see that that doesn't work that's well. good for audio yeah, that. yeah. An, on, an ongoing joke uh, amongst the marks here fuck yeah skins, does skins hold up it's not too bad like the, the first one it's kind of as I remember it but like the first season being a right good carry on right up until the end and then Aye. the second season being like the reckoning of everyone is just a bit like this is a bit of a drag um, like I'm, it's, it's in the middle of lockdown everyone being miserable all the time is not really what I want to spend my time watching just you think of that like the scenes of those mad remember skins parties advertised in MySpace where it's like uh, the gossip that, that sort of like standing in the way of control god just thinking back to ABC like nights and uh, Saturday nights in ABC listening to like uh, the foals doing Hummer in Crystal Cassia. Castles Hi, uh, jeez, oh man! I, I wonder. That's, that's a good point because that must be about ten years old now. Skins. It'd be interesting to go back and and seeing uh, if it, if it's aged well. On on, Christ, on Crystal Castles as well as well. I'd say they put in the the most uh, the least enthusiastic miming performance of any TV show ever uh, at the start of the second season as well. I challenge you to watch Keith Lemon the movie and watch Billy Ocean's performance of when the going gets tough to watch somebody no trying their arse. I'm one. not taking that challenge, Craig. Okay. Well, I, I think when I think back to my teenage years, it was certainly much more like the in-betweeners than it was Skins. Um, didn't talk to girls, really. But never, nevertheless, uh, last week uh, we watched the, the movie Drive, and I think that the, the four of us, uh, certainly not, not you three, me and the, the other Marks, we, we, we really enjoyed it. But this time around, uh, we are looking at the Denzel Washington vehicle, Flight. It's from 2012, and it was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who's got a fantastic uh, career, directed Forrest Gump, amongst other things. And uh, Denzel Washington stars as Whit Whitaker, an airline pilot who inexplicably crash lands a plane when it experiences mechanical failure. Now, Whit is hailed as a hero, but things begin to unravel during an investigation into the crash. Craig Fowler, you picked Flight. Why did you want us to watch Flight? I thought it was a, g a good film to debate because it's got it's got a lot of good bits and it's also got a lot of 
flaws as well. So, it's quite interesting when you say about uh, a good film to debate because your first shout was actually Goodfellas. Yes. So it's like, you were like, what were we going to say? Just like, oh, this film's fucking brilliant. A film that you could legitimately say is the greatest movie of all time. Just everyone's going, ah, it's amazing. Do you mind that bit? Yeah, it's amazing. But no, you're right in terms of what you say. This and there's a lot more um, shades of grey in this one. Yes, and also it's a bit more interesting for people here as well, because if we just talk about Goodfellas, I mean, we're not film critics. I mean, there's people who've talked about Goodfellas uh, to a much better degree. So, yeah, you're right. So we need to pick apart a film that's got a few more problems with it than uh, Martin Scorsese's classic. Okay, well, then we'll start with a... Start start with the good thing. Start with the good about Flight. Um, I'll, I'll go to yourself, Robert. What did you... What do you most enjoy about this movie? So if we start with the good, the film starts with the good. Um, oh, I, I, my, yeah. I've always called it the, uh, the Titanic factor or the Pearl Harbor factor, whereby the bit of the film that is actually about the title is the best bit. Mm-hmm. So in Titanic, it's when the film, uh, it's when the, the boat actually starts sinking and everyone starts dying. In Pearl t- Harbor, t- t- Titanic, Rob. Titanic, sorry. Uh, in, in Pearl, Pearl Harbor, Harbor. Like the Pearls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's when it's when the actual attack happens, and in flight, it's when the actual fight happens is the best part of the film. Honestly, that was that was bit of, like I I never seen this film before, so I was watching it cold. That uh, the the but after the first ten minutes, when I actually get into the flight itself, it is like I was sitting there watching it like mouth open, thinking, "My God, this is incredibly tense, brilliantly edited." Um, the, the the bits where the plane inverses up, the a, a flight attendant gets out her seat. And, and just get chucked around the, the plane. Oh my goodness, it was, that was astonishing. It's a real attack on the senses as well, because it's got the, it does the noise so great of a plane. And it's like this, the alarm's going off in the cockpit and they're all shouting at each other and the, the screams of the passengers and obviously everything you're seeing on the screen as well, like so much happening, so much cuts. It's really something that, like I say, an, a proper attack on the senses, something that just envelops you in the film. Yeah. Um, Again, while, while it's attacking your senses as well, it kind of brings you... I mean, the, it brings you fully on board with Denzel Washington as well, because despite the fact that he is steaming, um, he's just very, he's just on the radio being like, yeah, we're inverted, that's fine. Yeah, he's brilliant, and like that, that, that obviously how, how cool he is, is the bit where he tells the, um, the, the, the head flight attendant, say, what's your son's name, tell me you love him for the black box. Yeah. You know, so that, was, uh, that, that was a really good he's- bit. That's why he's such a great character, uh, great choice actor for this as well, because he's one of the few people who you could probably believe being that cool in this much of a, you know, a, a near death ex- uh, situation. Like, if, there's so many other actors, even great actors, who sit in that chair, you wouldn't quite believe would be as, as cool as Washington was. But Tom Hanks probably as well, because he ended up doing. Solid. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So well, yeah, only right. a few of them. But I'd say that as, as well as Denzel being obviously well cast for that, that role in the cockpit, Brian Geraghty as his uh, co-pilot was also perfectly cast. Just because- to say that, there's a great, the great juxtaposition between those two characters. I mean, like the, like he's obviously, obviously quite green. Uh, and there's a great bit of where he takes like, um, what takes a big puff of oxygen. Oxygen test. Aye, do you, want, do you want in on this? And he's like, he's like, no. And in terms of in terms of, they worked really well together during that uh, during that opening scene. But I think uh, like, like sort of Brian Geraghty has always played highly skilled but walking panic attack very very well, and like the Hurt Locker and Jarhead and all these sorts of things. Like he's always been that sort of wide-eyed, like, what's going on? Like, why 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 are we doing this and all that kind of stuff? He just plays that role perfectly and then it, it turns out he's a religious freak as well so I'm like well why not one, one, one of the criticisms I had about the opening scene it's 
and I understand why they did it. It's like you've basically, you spend the, the first like five minutes with Denzel Washington waking up, smashing, he does a horrible thing where there's like a, a bottle of beer lying inside the bed with dregs in it. And he, he uh, yeah, even just talking about it, drink the dregs of warm beer. And so you've got him with uh, Trina, the flight attendant, who he's sort of in a kind of in a quasi relationship with. Jogging. Uh, boozing, uh, do, doing drugs. He does a massive line of cocaine. And he gets ready. And this, then this is comes, sorry, just setting it up. This is one flaw in the film. And uh, she obviously she's played by oh god, I should bring it up. She's um, also in the league. And um, my, my name, name is Errol. Yes, and she like she walks around naked for the first like two, two minutes of the film. Last Fowler. Yes, and she's got. I mean, it's fair to say she's got a, a, like an impeccable body, as as most Hollywood stars do. But it's kind of later revealed that she's twice been checked in for alcoholism and has a real drinking problem. I'm like, nobody who drinks that much has a body like that. <laughs> just, no. I actually, um, I actually read quite a, an interesting uh, thing from a, a critic that said, "Oh, I, Alassie has an incredible bum at the start of that film, like a really pleasant backside, and then there's a bit with a plane." That's from Sean McGuigan. So I think. Uh, <laughs> It clearly left an impression on a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. Uh, <laughs> he's been, she's magnificent. There's a bit. I mean, she's putting her underwear on. Uh, you know, it's right at that scene. It's like, it's. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a man. You know, like I'm going to take off my take off my, my woke PC libtard hat and put on my red blooded man hat for a second. Then, <laughs> somebody stop me. <laughs> You can understand why people would have also have a problem with that scene because it's completely pointless and are being completely naked. Like there is actually no. Also, it's realistic though in that, that you know in that sort of realism that, that you're kind of sucked in. However, the point I was going to make with that is the scene then cuts to um, Nicole, uh, uh, who's a sort of drug addicted uh, prostitute, uh, very well played by Kelly Riley. But f- for me, it's like the, twice during the bit where Quip wakes up goes on to the airport and then flies a plane. Twice it cuts away to, to sort of her story. And I thought that you could have actually taken her character out of the movie, taken that yeah. whole subplot, that, that romance between uh, Whip and Nicole, and the film wouldn't have been any poorer for it. I think the film would have actually been a bit more snappier because... Yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't, I don't actually think uh, it's Kelly Riley, she's a British actress. I don't think she thinks it's that bad. And I think I could see why they cast her because she's got these... Well, she's good. She's good, She's good. but it's like that bit in terms of the momentum at the start of the movie and subsequently, I, I don't she's, think we need that subplot. Yeah, she's got like really kind of soft, forgiving eyes. So it's, it's kind of the exact kind of character you'd want to go with Denzel's kind of, you know, the guy who's completely fucked up his life kind of thing and you know driven up uh, dr- driven a plane uh, flown a plane drunk it's kind of that that kind of person offering that kind of redemption but yeah i completely agree especially the scenes that cut into her like they could have done that scene where she visits the porn set to get heroin off the guy it's just completely fucking pointless uh, it could have been done in like a second of just showing her like buying heroin off of somebody it didn't have to be this thing where the guys that the director's offering her two grand to, to do like an anal scene and then the guy gets his knob out and it's just like what is going on here just cut all this shit out there's no point in this Similar to similar to that as well. Like you're saying, the the opening scene with the 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 flight attendant who's the the functioning alcoholic with the incredible body. Yeah, the heroin addict with the with the really expensive hair and soft, forgiving eyes and big pink full lips and stuff. I like, fuck. I know it's Hollywood. But fucking come on, lads. Come on that, now. Graham, that is exactly what I was about to say. Like for a heroin addict, she is looking fucking great. <laughs> So other, like basically the only thing that suggests, oh, I reckon she's an addict, is the fact that her, um, her eyeliner's running. <laughs> and that's it. Like, the, the, very the, first, the very first scene, 
for the very first thing I notice is when she closes, she comes out of a motel room, closes the door, the camera holds on some track marks on the inside of her arm. Um, that, that's, that's a common theme throughout this film, is that it's, it's saying to you a lot of the times, do you get it? Do you see this? Do you get it? Look, 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 look at the track marks. Look, look, she's head around it. Do you get it? In terms of that, like, like we, we actually briefly discussed this before we came on. In terms of like the, the music in the movie, it's so on the nose. It is unbelievable. So you've got Nicole, the sort of like superfluous uh, story, heroin addict. She comes back to her flat and looks at a syringe <laughs> under the bridge by the red hot chili pepper starts playing, right? The next scene, she starts shooting up. It's a cover of Sweet Jane by the Velvet Underground, who also wrote a song called Heroin. There's a bit where um, Harling, played by John Goodman, who's actually really sticks out like a sore thumb in the movie, uh, he comes, pitches up with a big bag of drugs for whip. Sympathy for the Devil plays when uh, he's given up, he, when he goes back to his dad's old house and starts pouring away his uh, alcohol. Ain't no sunshine. You've missed one as well. The bit where this, when, the, when he leaves the stairwell after, after, after oh, they yeah, all Oh yeah, give me shelter. Aye, right? There's a bit as well, right? Uh, see, after he, he goes to the minibar, uh, he, he's staying over the night before his hearing and he gets smashed in his hotel room. There's a song Feeling All Right by Joe Cocker's playing. And there's a line in it, I'm not feeling too good myself, as he's walking with the shades on, and a big cut is like, come on. I mean, the thing is, these are all great songs. These are all like world-class songs, but you're, you're putting them, you're too obvious where you're putting them. There's no, no subtlety. There's, there's, one, there's one other one as well. There's, sorry, there's one other one as well when uh, they first spend the, the night together in his uh, farmhouse. And before they kind of get, get together, uh, what's going on by Marvin Gaye's yeah. play? So it's ah. these these two lost souls in this crazy world. What's going on? You fucking yeah, we get it. <laughs> Surely as well as that, all of the, getting all of these songs together, which as you say are some of the best known songs in history, must have cost an absolute fortune. So instead of spending all of your money on songs that people already know, which are very on the nose, hire a writer. Ah, it's like if we if we did a pod, imagine that we did a podcast and and Graham Thewlis is coming on, and we buy a song by a band, just say a band called The Walls called Graham Thulis, and we started playing that when you were coming on. It's like, it could not be any more on the nose than, than that. Um, I, would, uh, I, would, I would love to have been involved in the, the music associates meeting when they first see the syringe. It's like, ah, we should, maybe we should play Golden Brown by The Strangler. Nah, too, too obvious. <laughs> too obvious. What about Under the Bridge? Ah, right, okay, that's yeah. It, that that talks about bridges. Ah, let's do that. That's, yeah. that's the, talks about that's bridges. <laughs> The other stuff that I thought was, was really on the nose, there, there's a lot of stuff in there about uh, fate versus God. Yeah, um, I, this, I, the, the whole faith uh, symbolism stuff was yeah, very heavy-handed. I mean, obviously, the plane, uh, the plane hits a church just before it crashes. It takes out the steeple of a church, and it crashes right next to a congregation who pray, inexplicably pray in this field, who subsequently return to the scene to keep praying it. And the bit that I actually burst out laughing at, it's the bit where Whip goes to visit the co-pilot who is in hospital, can't walk, paralyzed, disabled, um, and will never fly again. And Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. His wife, is the pilot, his wife is there and having a conversation about faith. And she says twice, praise Jesus. And you're like, oh, come off it, man. Come on. It's, this it's, is a wee bit too much here. It's just, there's, there's a lot of that. There's some of it that's more subtly done and uh, quite good. So, like, at the end, like, where the, so, yeah, like, 
spoilers for anybody, uh, but I think you guessed that having listened to last week's show as well. So at the end, when the, the head woman on the kind of NTSB board uh, is interviewing them, and she wants to play the, the clip on the remote, and the remote doesn't work, and then she has to get up and stand in front of them. So I thought that was quite good. So that was kind of... yeah. That's kind of symbolism of she's kind of representing God. She's representing the good and she's standing directly in front of him and she's judging him and she's kind of given the... And when she walks away as well, it's, it's quite telling that she that shows her walking away. And when she does show, she, she's not really angry or anything. She kind of has like a pitying look on her face. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of like... It's kind of, kind of like some sort of forgiveness has been given there by, by a kind of higher power. And also as well, Denzel kind of earlier on in the film, he, he, he talks a lot. He's very much uh, like... He's very much like an atheist. He's like there's the scene with him and Don Cheadle, which again is a very on the nose one when they're in the field and there's the the church spire in the background, and he's talking about you know what God would do this and all that, and then at the end he's talking about you know thank God I did this and thank God this happened. Uh, so that stuff's not too bad, but like you say, there's just a lot of it that's again very very heavy handed, very much. Do, do you get this kind of thing? It's like yes, yeah. we get it. Calm down. That- I thought that generally, other than, I thought all the performances were very good. I thought it's a very well acted movie. Denzel Washington's excellent in it. And it's the, you kind of, a lot of the time, you really want you to just grab him and slap him and just say, come on, mate, just straighten yourself out. Go on, you can, you can get through this. I mean, there's a scene where he's, he's meeting his lawyers, uh, his lawyers meeting the head of the airline company who owns a baseball team. And the next scene he's smashed in his dad's like uh, his dad's flat and he falls over when uh, when Nicole comes back uh, and I thought I thought like she's very good Don Cheadle's very good in it sort of very underplays his role as, as the lawyer and Melissa Leo who is the principal investigator in the scene she's and for the crash she's only in really only in one scene that uh, that, that scene you've spoken about the character I didn't like in it was John Goodman who I thought was massively out of place in it sort of he's only in two scenes as well but very cartoony, very exaggerated. Oh, it's the, the overreact, overreacting, sorry, overreacting, overacting going on there is incredible. But it did, uh, I did burst out laughing at, uh, do not touch the merch, motherfucker. That was good. That seems really funny, the bit where, where the, he's got getting the cocaine to, to straighten him out before before the hearing. And the way it's sort of the camera is obviously just, just one shot and it's on a stabilizer and the camera's sort of like going around them as they're organizing this, this cocaine and this um, cigarette that's got cocaine in it as, as well. I thought that was quite well done. Do, do you know what the tagline of the film should have been? Cocaine fixes everything. Seems to do, actually. I've, <laughs> I've, I've got another tagline for the film, which is, flight, it's three films in one. So essentially... <laughs> It's it's like this film doesn't make any fucking sense to me because it's three different films in one. So you've got John Goodman battling about doing his comedy bits. You've got Denzel Washington playing like this is a gritty and heartfelt role as he fights his demons, and then it's like half an action movie as well. This film doesn't make any fucking sense. Just like it felt like it was like, well, we want to make a film. We want to make it this, this, and this. You can only pick one of them, lads. No, we'll just fucking do it anyway. We'll make the three films in one. I, I still, I still think it's a good film, but I think it's purely on the back of Denzel's performance. Yeah, if you take to me, if you yeah, take yeah. Denzel Washington out of this, it's essentially a hallmark movie of the week. Yeah. If you drop, if you drop the budget on the CGI at the start and they take out Denzel Washington, it's just an afternoon movie. Aye, I am. Um, it's it's a completely watchable film for me. Yeah. It's it's entertaining enough uh, to keep your interest and stuff like that. But it's it's like Telford was saying, it's well acted, but it's badly written. Like every single juncture key juncture in that film is so predictable you know exactly what's going to happen you know when he's going to relapse into the booze 
you know that um, Kelly Riley's uh, part is going to get clean and she's going to be like the, the sort of the, the angel on his shoulder and all that kind of stuff. You know that when it comes to the hearing, he's going to admit to everything that he did. And you know that as soon as she puts up the, the picture of uh, the, the flight attendant, he's going to get emotional. Every part of the film, you can call it apart from, apart from the one annoying thing, sorry, the one annoying thing is the fact that he's got a plane in that barn. He's an irresponsible alcoholic. And not once does he get in that plane and try and... <laughs> I'm furious. The stuff as well is kind of expecting, uh, the, the stuff I expected when he got together with Nicole, who was trying to, trying to get clean and sort her life around, I thought, you know, that's quite a, the potential for that relationship to be quite destructive. And he, that never seems to happen, it only seems to happen with him. They never seem to sort of like um, fall back into their own ways together and then come back out. It's just like she's, she meets him, boom, She's like she's like really straight, and and so her doesn't have much of a development in in that respect. You could actually you could cut her whole part out of the film, and it that yeah. wouldn't really you wouldn't miss but then, it. But then you'd never know that she was a photographer. And what was the point? <laughs> That's a good point. What was the point in that? The whole stuff about a photographer. But one she comes back to her our, our, our house, and her landlord is playing with her camera, and yeah. she's like, "Make a big deal of it. Give me that. Give me back that camera." Is it to show that, that, that she's not just a heroin addict, but she's got an edge, she's got a skill? Is, is that maybe it? She's got a heart, Robert. Aye. Who cares? I'd, li- I'd like to bring up a few other scenes that I thought were really good, but like I say, it's all about, it's all about Denzel and them. So I really like the scene where he first meets Don Cheadle, so they're having lunch, and he's got this kind of, this arrogance, this bravado, this kind of anger, like he's he's like, He's basically making it out that he's really annoyed and frustrated that he's been questioned because that he was he, he was such a hero and, and doing like and saving all these people. No other pilot could have uh, could have landed the plane as successful as they did, but only six people died. And and then it's just when Don Cheadle says like he's like oh they'll, they'll do a toxicology toxicology report and he says oh women to do that he says well they've already done it they've done it while you were unconscious and you can just his face so we flicker. Aye, his face doesn't change that much, but there's just so much in it. It's like inside him. It's like a gut punch that goes right to his soul. And it's just like, it's just a masterful piece of acting from Denzel. The other scene as well, when, they, when they're in the aircraft hangar and they've got the kind of the fuselage, like broken fuselage there. And again, him and Don Cheadle kind of going at it. And again, you can kind of, he's just a bit more, he's angry, but he's a bit more vulnerable. You can kind of see he's fidgeting a lot as well. You can kind of see that his alcoholism has properly taken over him. There's also a scene in the church after they go to the funeral where he's talking to the other flight attendant and she, you can tell she's really hurt that he's asking her basically to lie uh, and kind of guilt tripping her into doing this. And you can tell he, he regrets doing it, but he knows that he kind of has to do it to save his own skin. Basically, most scenes where Denzel just gets to do proper acting stuff are, are really good. Uh, and the rest of the film is a bit pish, <laughs> apart, for the, apart for the crash sequence. Sorry, like the, the, the scene in the church after the funeral, you're right, it is a really good scene because I think that that flight attendant um, plays her part incredibly well as a sort of like yeah. motherly figure uh, on the plane and all that kind of stuff. However, see when she's like, she's like, oh, did you come into the service? Didn't she look amazing? Talking about uh, Nadine Velazquez's character. But I'm fairly certain you see that she's had her head crushed. Yeah. In. So I don't really, is it like, have they made it out of putty or something? Is it an open casket, but it's just like, it's like a scarecrow they put in. Like, just stitched it back on, Robert. Like, what, what happened with that? Because she, she is definitely incredibly dead uh, via the head. Um, how, many, how many people who have died in plane crashes have been buried open casket? 
at the at the place where they actually died, like literally within about three feet. That's a good, that's a good question. I'd also, about I'd also like to highlight the, the scene in the stairwell once again, where you've got the cancer. Oh, that was light in the nose with the, the guy talking about God. God chose to give him cancer. Yeah, and he's, oh. as, he, as he's smoking as well. Like, oh, fucking come on, lads, wind it in. I, I, found, it, I found it really annoying. He's he, was, he was creepy and unsettling, and I'm not sure why he had to be. That's why you can't trust bald people, mate. Vince McMahon doesn't trust bald people, and neither do I. Well, there you go. Would you would you recommend Flight? If somebody was looking for... See, somebody's looking for a film to watch tonight. Would you recommend they watch Flight? I'd recommend the first 20 minutes and then tell them the ending. I, w- I would still recommend it. I think it's a brilliant Denzel performance. I think it's worth a watch just for that. And it didn't, Actually, even that's, though, that's even fair. Though even though it's over two hours long, it didn't lag as much as I thought it would, uh, watching it back. That's, yeah, that, that's... Sorry, Phil, I think you sound a bit biased. The fact you're calling him Denzel, it kind of reminds me of people who refer to Zlatan Ibrahimovic as Zlatan. So, what's your point? I think that you like Denzel Washington and you're prepared to put this film's you like him so much, you're prepared to overlook this film's flaws to, to give it a pass because you like Denzel yeah, Washington. D- Denzel Washington, as much as I don't really massively care for this film, Denzel Washington is absolutely brilliant because he's brilliant in just about everything. Just one other thing for this as well. Like when I first saw this, it was when I was living in London, it was during the Olympics. Um, and because of the Olympics, they'd redirected uh, the flight path to essentially be above my house. Uh, I'm not really a great flyer or great with planes, so I basically didn't sleep for about a week. Because um, the planes were, were essentially landing over my head, I was fucking terrified. Would you Would you recommend people watch this film, Graham? It's okay. You said, like, yes, it's, you said yes. Sorry, the first twenty minutes. It's, 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 it's a good it's a good carry on, but like let's say it's, there's a whole lot of if you if you take films very seriously, don't watch it because there's a whole whole load in it. It's just such a nonsense, Robert. Yeah, if if you're willing if you're willing to accept. Um, an incredible scene with a plane crash that would never, ever, ever happen like that in real life because it's impossible. Um, I think I read it is actually possible yeah. to do that, but it's, it's never been done. It's, it's, it's theoretically possible. I'm not having it. Um, and go on a, a, a journey with, with Denzel Washington. Do you know what? If there's nothing else on, yeah, you can watch it. But it's it's not, it, yeah. I don't think I'm ever going to watch it again. No, 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 I'd, I'd, never, I'd never, not even if I was uh, trying to impress a girl I was trying to date, I wouldn't say, she said, do you want to watch this? Nah, it's all right, do you want to watch Badil Syndrome instead? What is it? <laughs> You'll love it. You'll love it, I promise. Nah, I wouldn't watch it again. No, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's okay, it's okay. Three stars, three stars, six out of ten. Anyway, let's let's wrap. Let's put a big bow on on proceedings with what to watch. We're going to talk about things we are what to watching or what to reading. In my case, <laughs> in the the future, I'll I'll start with myself. I never get the chance to go first, so I'm going to I'm going to start with myself for a wee change. I um don't read enough. It's idea that I'm going to try try and read more. You know, you've got a great opportunity to to, to to try and take as much in, and I feel as though when you're at work. You're spending eight hours sitting in front of your computer, then you finish work and you spend in front of your computer till you go to sleep. Effectively, you are in front of the computer all the time. So I'm going to try and read more. And uh, to try and get into that, I'm going to go and revisit a book that I've read several times. It's High Rise by J.G. Ballard. Has anyone here read it? Okay, then. This will be, I'll keep this short then because I know how much... That was really bad radio as well. Yeah. Shook our heads. Shook our heads. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, your silence spoke volumes. It's, um, anyway, it's uh, High Rise. It's, uh, it's probably my favourite novel. It's about an ultra-modern power block that houses hundreds of middle-class people across 40 floors. And petty disputes about like noise, about access to the swimming pool, about like garbage chutes being blocked, it leads to um, like all-out violence and chaos and vandalism and, and murder where like rival floors are attacking one another. And it follows three characters, a sort of lower middle class character, a middle class character, and an upper middle class character, and how they react to the, to the changing circumstances in the building. And I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. I like to say it gets better every time I've read it. It's a, it's a brilliant concept, the idea behind it. Absolutely amazing concept. And it's incredibly well written. And you can fly through it in like a, a couple of settings because it's very compulsive. It's, what, was uh, the, what was the name again? High Rise by J.G. Ballard. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. It sounds good. Uh, I was recently adapted into a movie. Um, the movie wasn't... The movie, the rights to the movie had been bought like in the, the 70s, but it took them like... They thought it was unfilmable. And uh, <laughs> subsequently, the movie that came out, they might have had a point with that. <laughs> but no, highly recommended. Uh, Craig, what are you what to watching? I am what to... I, I would recommend that people what to watch Wild Tales which is an Argentinian film uh, nominated for an Oscar for the uh, best uh, foreign language uh, movie in 2014. And basically, it's six films bundled into one. So there, it's, it's six stories that none of them really intertwine. There's like one kind of small Easter egg and one that appears in another. But apart from that, it's all completely different characters. Uh, and it's basically, the, the, the theme throughout the film is it's tales about revenge. So they're all a little kind of over the top, but that's kind of what, what, what makes the film so entertaining and so funny. Uh, but it's also, you know, quite thrilling as well, because you kind of know what, what each one is, is building towards. And each film is longer than the one which precedes it. The only one I didn't quite like was the second one. I didn't really think it was kind of that clever or that fleshed out. But because it comes so early, it's, uh, it goes through, you know, pretty, pretty soon. And the rest of them, all the rest of the five are, are just terrific. The, the, the cold open scene is one of the best that I've seen in, in ugh, maybe movie history. It's so good. Uh, and it, that's maybe the one thing is that the rest of the film doesn't quite lead, um, doesn't quite live up to that first scene, but it is, it's really very good. And it's not available on any streaming platforms, but you can get it on YouTube uh, to rent from as cheap as £2.50. And I would believe it'd be the same on Amazon Prime as well. Wow, that's a very thorough praise indeed. Graham Fulis, what are you what to watching? Uh, what I'm what to watching, Craig, is, uh, well, to, to put it one way, Britain has some of the safest football in Europe, but this isn't Britain. <laughs> this is the Bundesliga, uh, which, of course, I mean, this is, unless this goes out in the next 25 minutes, you're going to miss some of it. But um, the, 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 the frisson of exciting, excitement that I've had all week with the, the potential of actually watching some football. I watched the Korean lads kick a ball around last weekend. And Craig Fowler's draw to give us all a Bundesliga team has really added to that as well. Getting to tell Craig Cairns to fuck off because he was an Eintracht Frankfurt fan earlier in the week really did absolutely make my week. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to tune into a bit of football. On a what week. the Freiburg? <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I love that uh, Derek Ray uh, told me how to pronounce the name. Oh, highlight of my week. Uh, Hello, Robert. It's the uh, Hoover and stuff. Uh, is football sort of like a bit shite though when there's no fans there oh, we'll, have to, we'll have to wait and see <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 there's Man United played a team from Austria in the, the Europa League 
And sure, that was the last game of football I watched on the Thursday night. It was shite. Odin Agallo scored an amazing goal, but there's no one there to see it. And you're kind of like, eh, you know, really, it's not really got the same impact. I think it really depends on how you approach it. You go, if you're expecting it to be exactly the same as football generally is, then you're going to be disappointed. If you're looking at it, I, I'm essentially at this point just looking for a ball rolling across some grass. I'll take tennis, I'll take golf, I'll take whatever. Just some grass moving with a ball on it, I'm absolutely fine with. So, yeah, I'm very much... I also realise I'm wearing a hoodie and hugging myself, so I actually look like I'm a fucking addict right now. Um, but, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to some football returning. I think the, to go on uh, for Telford's point, it did come immediately after we had football with fans when you, you watched that Manchester United game. We've had no football at all for two months, so it might be different. That you're just, like Graham says, just happy to see somebody playing competitive football, even though there's no fans there. And obviously it's not going to be as good as the real thing. The, just pretend uh, you're watching a game at Hamilton. Yeah, the South, it can still be fun. The South, the South oh. Korean lads, um, they pumped in um, crowd noise. Uh, like Hibs in 2014, so I, <laughs> well, I don't know if uh, I don't know if the German teams are going to do that as well. Um, well. We'll find out this afternoon. I will also be watching the Munchen Gladbach game, trying to see because they they got fans to send in pictures so that they could fill the stadium with big cutouts. Um, so inevitably, people sent in pictures of Harold Shipman. So I'm going to spend my time trying to find him in the crowd. <laughs> Clap for the NHS, not you. One of the worst things I saw was somebody. Uh, tweeted it was Chris Jericho. They tweeted, "Can you? Here's my my uh, my my two daughters are big fans of yours. Can you? Can I get a retweet for them?" And it was the two girls who'd been murdered and so on. That was one of the worst things I'd, I'd ever seen uh, in terms of that. Uh, Robert, what are you what to watching this weekend? So uh, I've been what to watching and what to listening um, simultaneously, and I've been revisiting uh, Scrubs. The uh, Naughties sitcom created by Bill Lawrence. Uh, I'm sure a lot of us know it very well. Telfer, I can see by your face that you're a huge fan. So I uh, basically... Doubt I'm... All right, cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was uh, a big fan of Scrubs uh, when it first came out in 2001. Uh, I think I was like 11 years old or something. And I, I sort of followed it all the way through. So I, I grew up with the show, uh, which means the nostalgia factor. Um, of going back and, and watching it again and actually I'm sort of surprised at how well I, I remember the episodes I, I must have I know it was repeated a lot on E4 and stuff like that so I maybe uh, I maybe watched a lot of it then but it's it's been really good to go back and watch the episodes but better than that is the podcast um, that's uh, Fake Doctors Real Friends with uh, Zach Graff and Donald Faison and then a sort of uh, rolling cast of contributors as well has been really excellent and they're basically doing it as a rewatch um, so they do it episode per episode um, I mean, the podcast lengths are like another hour and a half per podcast. So it, it's quite, I don't think they've quite got the, uh, the whole timing thing of it nailed down, but I don't think it loses uh, anything. How long do you think this podcast lasting? I, I know. <laughs> um, an hour and 25 minutes and counting right now. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've, I've really enjoyed that, I think, more so than, than watching the episodes back because. Um, I mean, Zach Braff and Don Faison are so clearly like close friends, and that really comes through in the podcast as well. Um, they've got all the sort of interest and insight that you want to know from the series um, as you go back and watch it. Um, plus, they've had guys like Bill Lawrence on who can come on and explain so much about the, the beginnings of the show and, and how it all came to be, how it was directed, how it was made, where it was made. And then you've got guys like John C. McGinley coming in, Sarah Chalk. Um, and, and yeah, it, it's just a sort of, it's a really warm and friendly and funny podcast um, that you can put to something that you 
obviously know so well and relate so much to as well. My favourite bit uh, so far was uh, in the last couple with the, so we've had Bill Lawrence on before. He was on the, the third uh, episode one, uh, and so I'm up to episode seven, I think. So that's uh, the first one where John C. McGinley comes on. But the last two have just been. Uh, Donald and Zach, and although the last one uh, they did because uh, they get uh, uh, like fans on at the end to ask a question through Zoom, and the yeah. last one was a couple for Scotland who <laughs> just admitted to having drank all day before they done this. <laughs> just brilliant. Uh, but uh, no, the last couple of episodes they had uh, Bill Lawrence like coming in, so these be audio clips. So they'd, like, they'd say something and then say, "Oh, I wonder if Bill done it like that," and then you just get this clip coming in, obviously recorded later of Bill Lawrence explaining what they were what they were unsure about, and that that just bit's just really fun and just really adds to it. And aye, I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to them so far. And also, I've not actually watched it back because I've also found that I haven't had to. Because yeah, I'm the same as you. Like I must have watched it just like mindlessly on repeat all the time on uh, E4. Probably yeah, probably while I was at university and stuff. So like just just by seeing like the title. I think I might go watch some of I can't remember it, but every time I just look at the next podcast and like read the read the synopsis, I'm like, all right, no, that, that's fine. I know I know what happens in that show. Well, that that's kind of it because because the episodes are only twenty two minutes long. Um, I did what you did with Community and just watched like all of them in the space of a day and a half. <laughs> um, so I've got uh, I went all the way through the twenty five episodes in season one. Um, so I'm now just going to stop. I'm just going to listen to the podcast now because I'm like, right, well, I need to catch up with the podcast, but that will take fucking weeks. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just sort of, I'm, I'm fully on the podcast now. Um, although the end of season one did remind me about Brendan Fraser's character. Um, so I, I, might, I might have to go on and, and continue watching it. But, um, yeah, I, I really, really recommend the podcast. I know you do as well, Phil. Um, if, if you ever watch Scrubs in your life, it's, it's just a really, really nice, really warm, really funny podcast. Great. Magic. All right, great, glad there's silence there. Uh, well, listen, I'd like to thank everyone for, for coming on to today's show. That's, uh, for the most part, up until then, very enlightening and very enriching, and I hope that, that people at home will uh, get something that they can enjoy. And they also listen to us uh, sort of talk about a movie, which I'm actually thinking back. I don't think any of us really enjoyed it all that much, other than uh, the, the start in Denzel Washington's performance. But nevertheless, I've had an absolutely fantastic time. And I'd like to thank my associates one by one. First of all, Craig Fowler. Yes, thank you. Okay, good to see you get your head out of your phone for once. Every time I've looked up, you've been sending pictures to someone. Probably <laughs> pictures of us with captions saying, look at these losers. Uh, Robert Borthwick, lovely to see you again. Thank you very much. Just before we go, one very quick question. Graham, do you have an iron outside your window? So, besides... <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Utility. Oh, a utility room sort of in there. Oh yeah, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a garden. Anyway, yes, uh, thanks very much, Telford. It's been a pleasure. Just been iron in my grass. <laughs> well, uh, we know you'll be getting up to this afternoon, then, Graham. Lovely to see you too. You're welcome, Craig. Excellent. And remember, uh, you can listen to this podcast. There's a number of ways: Spotify, iTunes, wherever you uh, listen to your podcast from. And please give us money on Patreon um, because, well, because uh, because we work really hard. Think I'm, think I, think I've been, I had to watch Flight for the Good of My Own Health. No. Anyway, listen, on that bombshell, we'll, we'll see you all later. Thank you very much. Goodbye. God bless. Bye. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.
It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.